I'm Crystal Keating, and you're listening to the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. Each week, we're bringing you real stories of finding hope beyond suffering and sharing conversations focused on how you can include people with special needs in your church and community. To learn more about the podcast or to ask a question that you'd like us to answer on the show, please visit johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast. This week, I'm talking with a special guest who knows about suffering. With the diagnosis of a debilitating disease that led to 21 surgeries by the time she was 13, years in the hospital, and bullying from classmates, Vanitha Reisner encountered extraordinary pain early in life. Then, experiencing multiple miscarriages as a young wife, the death of her son, abandonment, and an unwanted divorce, Vanitha discovered the goodness of God and His divine purposes in her suffering. Listen as I talk with Vanitha Reisner about her book, The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How God Meets Us in Suffering, and God's sustaining grace she found in the midst of disability, shame, and grief. Well, it's a privilege for me to be speaking with Vanitha Reisner today, author of the book, The Scars That Have Shaped Me, as we have a heartfelt conversation about experiencing the faithful presence of God through a lifetime filled with various life-altering disabilities, losses, and pain. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today, Vanitha. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Crystal. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. And It really is an honor for me to speak with you today, and I was deeply moved by your life as you shared it in your book, and I really feel like the thread that runs throughout your life is one of God's continued presence through the many hardships you've faced, and that was deeply impactful for me. I'd actually like to start our conversation talking about the title of your book and the profound significance your scars have taken on through the years as you began seeing them in light of God's presence through your own personal suffering. Sure. Yeah. So the title of the book, it's funny, it's the title of the first chapter, and it's really about two kinds of scars which have shaped me. There's my physical scars. I had polio as a child and had 21 operations by the time I was 12. So I just have scars all over my body and was really self-conscious about that for years from the time I was little, if I went to the beach or went anywhere, people would point at them and ask me what was wrong with me. And so I would try to hide my body so people at least wouldn't see my scars from that perspective. But then the other scars that have shaped me, which I think we all have, are the invisible scars, the wounds that people have from bullying onto lots of other pain. Those shaped me And those were also scars I wanted to hide. I wanted to pretend they didn't happen. I wanted to move away from both of those. And yet I would say that it was the scars in my life that have made me who I am and the way that, and the things that God has used the most. Mm. Well, and I think a lot of people with disabilities can definitely relate to both the obvious scars and then the, as you said, invisible scars that the hidden disabilities that may be within our hearts from trauma and um, from wounds that have really carried, you know, through our lifetime. I think one of the things that really even just jumped off the pages as we began is the way that you were bullied as a child. You carried a lot of shame, and I think shame tends to go with scars and, you know, that inner wounding. So 
Can you talk a little bit about growing up with polio, just the way that that impacted you? It sounded like you were bullied every day. Is that right? Yeah, I would say so. You know, as a child, I remembered it as every day. I have to say it may not have been every day, but that's how I remembered it. I remembered walking around and pretty much everybody for the first time they met me would say, what's wrong with you? And that became this question that I just hated to have, but it was people would stop me in if I went shopping with my family. I mean, that becomes the question that people just ask whether they know you, don't know you, pass you in the hall. And so that that was where it, it just became very painful. But there was lots of interactions where I was bullied when I was, I had lived in the hospital for years when I was young. I was in a mm. body cast for a year and I was flat on my back. And I remember getting released from the hospital after being there a year and walking home my parents bought a house or did buy a house they rented a little place across the street from the school so I could walk home and I surprised my mom I thought I was going to and decided to walk home one day by myself it was usually my mom or my sister walked me home and a group of boys uh, jumped out from the kind of hiding and they threw stones at me and they Mm. called me a cripple and that was my first experience with like massive bullying where I didn't even know what to do. They ended up pushing me down and I was kind of left in this, on this path, kind of a playground, just not even sure why did this happen? What had I done? And it was strange though. My takeaway from that was not anger as much as shame that somehow my difference is what caused people to not like me. And so from that, I didn't even tell my mom what happened. I don't think I told anyone till I was maybe 20. I just, I just pushed it down and I remembered it, but I was so ashamed that I was the kind of person that somebody would bully that I didn't want to tell anyone. Oh, and then yeah. a lot of times people are ashamed when they haven't done anything. It's just That's that true. they feel they're different right. and that it's their fault. Yeah. It's really interesting. You talk about shame. And I know that God didn't leave you in your shame. So how did you eventually come to Christ to walk with him and know him? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I after I was bullied as a child, I really wanted nothing to do with God. And my parents are believers, took me to church every week. Um, my mom did a Bible study for us at home. And I would think to myself, this is for normal people. This is not for people like me. And I was pretty angry when people talked to me about God. When I was in high school, I started thinking more about existential philosophy that we learned in English class. And I thought, this is this is truth. It pulled me really into sort of a depression. Life seemed gray and black. Mm. And I remember people talked to me about Johnny. Actually, people said, have you read her book? She's amazing. And I remember thinking, I don't want anything to do with a God that's going to let all of these things happen to someone. Mm. I can't have joy in this. And it was funny then when I was in high school, I started going to FCA though. So I would have this, didn't believe in God, but I went to FCA, that Fellowship, which is Fellowship of Christian. Christian Athletes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Not, not because I was an athlete or a Christian, but I wanted to fellowship with the athletes. <laughs> so that, that worked out just fine for me. And um, a friend and I would sit in the back and we would talk about boys. I mean, that's all we did. Like, who were the cute guys that were coming in, which was great. And then she went away one week. I still remember it. And she came back and she, she went on a retreat. 
And she said, God is real. And I thought, oh, no, you are not going to want to talk about guys anymore. You're going to want to talk about God. And I did not want to talk about God. And I remember when she invited me over to talk about God for the, I mean, it wasn't the millionth time. It was probably like the third time. But I remember just being frustrated, thinking this is going to change our whole friendship. But I went home that night and I just said to God, if you're real, show me. And I didn't even say it very reverently. I said it sort of arrogantly. And then I went to bed that night and nothing happened. And I thought, see, there is no God. And I woke up the next day and I had been confirmed in our church, was not a believer, but it was just kind of what you did. And I had a Bible from that and it was on my nightstand and I pulled it out and I just said, okay, I'm going to just try to read this and show you that this isn't true. And I remember flipping to Leviticus thinking, ah, see, this is not a helpful book. Oh, dear. And then, yes, that was not the first place you know, I'd recommend anybody oh. start. And then I, I said to God, so why did this happen? If you're good and you're real, tell me, why did I get polio? Mm-hmm. And I flipped the Bible open to John 9. And it says that um, as he went by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God would be displayed in his life. That changed me. I remember reading it. I remember thinking, God, you're talking to me. You're answering me why this happened. I get shells even thinking about it because I felt that the God of the universe was actually answering me, me, my little arrogant me, who didn't think God heard or cared or existed, God had mercy on me and he answered me. And so I remember just all of a sudden that day, just reading the Bible and it was a different book to me. Like it became alive I remember that day I read things and I thought this all makes sense this this is a whole different thing than I ever thought it was and I got down on the side of my bed and I committed my life to Christ who I didn't even know but I knew he knew me mm. and that made all the difference that's incredible and I can't tell you how many people God has used the story in John 9 to really speak to them and to say, I love you, I care for you, and I have a purpose in disability. What an amazing testimony that is. And, you know, talk more about your life after you came to Christ. Was it easy breezy? Did you get healed? Did you see radical transformation? Well, um, yeah, (laughs) it was not easy breezy, but I thought it would be. It's so funny because it was right away. I came to Christ and then, you know, graduated from high school, went to college, worked for four years, went to grad school. And I thought life was perfect. I thought everything in my life was going really well. And I kind of bought into this idea that everybody has one big hard thing. And once you're done with that, you're good. And I remember thinking For people who didn't have something hard happen, well, I've already had my hard thing. I don't know what yours is going to be, but my life is going to be easy. Mm. And I was convinced of that until um, I got married and I had four miscarriages. And that didn't seem like this perfect life. 
and they were spread out. I had a miscarriage and then our daughter, Katie, and then I had two miscarriages. But after the third miscarriage, I was pregnant again and went in for a routine ultrasound. And through a series of things, found out that our unborn son had a hypoplastic left heart, which meant he only had half of a heart. And I remember saying to God, how could this be? How could I have a child with such a major disability? And this is a condition that if you don't have surgery at birth, your child will die. Mm. So it means either having a heart transplant or a massive heart surgery. And I remember that started shattering this picture that we all have one thing. And I also had thought, well, if we're faithful, God is really going to bring healing. And a lot of people came around me at that time giving me that theology. And people would came by to our house with books and tapes of, if you pray the right way, God is going to heal your son. Mm. And I felt so much pressure that it was going to be up to me. And that was a very hard thing for me and my husband because we didn't really think that made sense. And yet we were so wanting to cling to anything that I felt like I needed to pray all kinds of different ways. And we did everything. And I think this prosperity gospel theology makes you feel like it's up to you and you need to say the right stuff. So I remember reading stuff, wanting to put my name in the right prayers. And do I need to fast twice a day? I mean, it was crazy making because people said, if I had the faith, our son would be fine. Mm. And there's one thing when people say that about you. But when they say it about your child, you will just do anything. Mm -hmm. And that was hard theology because I remember um, people said, if we had the faith, our child would have a sudden healing. And that was hard. So we, we did feel like we had the faith though. And he was born, was doing really well after his surgery. And at Three weeks old, he came back from the hospital. So I thought, okay, well, at least he's going to have a good, healthy, wonderful life now that the surgery's over. Mm. And he was doing really, really well. But we took him in for a checkup, and there was a substitute doctor. And he thought Paul was doing so well that he didn't need his medicine anymore, which he, I guess, didn't check the chart very well, didn't renew his prescriptions. And um, three days later, Paul cried out in the middle of the night and um, to make a long story short, he died. And that, that shattered me because I felt that I had done all the right stuff. I had prayed the right way. And I pulled really far away from God thinking, okay, I can't trust you anymore. Like there's no formula. I feel like I did everything. Right. How could this happen? And so that really took me on a very different path with my faith. Um, one I'm very grateful for because my faith got a lot deeper then, but it, it was a very hard path to go down. Vanitha, mm. where did you go after that? I mean, if you're kind of feeling that you do not trust God, you're dealing with this immense grief, where did you go? Um, when I, I just went internal, I would say at first, and I just, I pulled away from God. And I think one of the hardest things for me is we had said after Paul died, like two days after, I had said, God never makes a mistake. I had spoken at his funeral and really said, God is going to use his life. But sometimes I feel that we say things 
because we feel carried by God, but then the reality of life set in. Mm -hmm. And I wish I could have pulled every one of those words back Mm -hmm. because I felt God had made a mistake. I felt that I wasn't carried by God. Mm -hmm. I felt lonely and discouraged and angry. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of retreated into myself. I didn't want to read the Bible. I remember journaling saying, God, I don't even know what to say to you anymore. And then I remember being in the car one day and just feeling so alone. And then I just cried out to God and I said, okay, God, I can't do this without you. I know that you're real. I need you to meet me. And God did. And I would say that is probably the most remarkable moment of my life in that God's presence filled my car. I just knew that God was there with me. It's so hard to describe, but it's this sense of unbelievable joy and laughter in the midst of the hardest thing that had ever happened. And I just was so excited about God. I started laughing, just thinking, okay, this is what heaven feels like. This feels like it doesn't matter what's happening around me. None of these things even mean anything. Jesus is with me. Jesus is going to walk with me. Jesus is never going to leave me. And that sense carried me through. I remember just coming home thinking, okay, I can do this. I'm going to see Paul again. And God is going to walk with me through all of my life. And that really turned my theology from thinking it's all about if you're faithful, God is going to give you one hard thing and then your life is going to be easy and you're going right. to show people the goodness of God by how good your life is versus you're going to show people the goodness of God by the way he meets us, no matter what your life looks like. That's a good word. Just that you are going to showcase who God is in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your loss and that God really rescued you. I mean, it just makes me think of the Psalms where You know, David is really honest about how he feels. Where are you, God? How long, O Lord, will I cry out to you? Yes. But God continues to meet him in the depths and to bring him back up. And as I've been reflecting on your life, I'm wondering how you thought about God's sovereignty in the midst of, I mean, maybe I can say this, man's incompetence. I mean, It was a doctor when you were first born that misdiagnosed you. And I think you became a quadriplegic and you had to have all of those surgeries to regain your mobility and a doctor that changed your life forever with the loss of your son. Talk about the transformation in your own thinking and believing about suffering and God's sovereignty. Soon after that experience, I had talked to a friend who had told me about John Piper and I had never heard of him before, but I had a CD and not a CD, a cassette tape that she gave me. And, you know, when you go through a loss, people give you all kinds of things. And for me, I didn't really want any of them, but I was in the car. And one day I pushed in this tape on the sovereignty of God and suffering. And as I heard John Piper talk about that, I was really sensed that God was talking to me as he was talking. I felt like God was saying, I'm in this, I'm in all of your suffering Mm. and your suffering is a way to glorify me. And I remember this quote that Piper gave from Charles Spurgeon, who was 57 and I guess he was dying of gout and Bright's disease. 
And someone said to him, how do you handle this knowing that God has allowed this suffering? Mm -hmm. And Spurgeon said to them aloud, if I didn't think that God caused this suffering and measured it out to the exact, um, I think, drop of suffering that I have, I wouldn't be able to stand it. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, that's radical theology. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, okay, if God is really in this, and this is no mistake, and God isn't trying to just clean this up, then there's a big purpose to this. And I can really have joy and be grateful for it. But if it happens to be some random thing that God maybe can fix up, then it feels like that wasn't what God really wanted for me. And then I remember reading When God Weeps by Johnny, and that book really echoed that in an amazing way mm-hmm. when she says, you know, either God rules or Satan sets the world's agenda and God is Satan's cleanup boy, hoping mm. to make the best of a bad situation, but it wasn't God's best for you. And I remember thinking, yeah, that that's truth. And I know for some people, they feel a lot more comfort when they think, oh, God loves you so much. He didn't want you to suffer. He didn't want this to happen. I didn't find that comforting at all. Mm -hmm. Thinking that things happened that God didn't want, that sounds terrifying. It's comforting that God is all loving and all powerful. And both of those things work together in everything that happens that we can say, this is the best. I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. It seems like the worst thing to me, but knowing that it actually is the best brings us so much hope and joy. So that's really when my whole theology changed to understanding that God uses suffering for our good. You know, I think about this passage in Genesis, Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that one verse really says it all people mean it for evil, whether it's their mistake or things that people do to us, but God means it for good. And that's really where we have our hope. Absolutely. Yeah. It's radical the ways that God gets our attention and uses the depths of suffering to showcase who he is for sure. Um, Yeah. It it changes when, when we believe that God is sovereign, we don't need to be afraid for ourselves, for our children, for the mistakes that we make, realizing that God is in all of those things. And I think that has given me a comfort and a peace that I would not have had without that. But I feel like some of my worst fears have been realized in that our son died and I've had some other things that have happened that if I had to line up my worst nightmares, I would say they had all come true. Mm. And yet... It's incredible realizing when your worst nightmares come true and you still have joy and God is still there, then you know that God is going to be with you through everything. Mm -hmm. And so there really is nothing to fear. And I think that's a rare gift that God gives those of us who suffer. I'm thankful for that. Wow. Vanitha's scars are the marks of painful wounds that have been healed through God's faithful grace. What a great conversation for those who are struggling, for those who are experiencing pain and loss. God's greatest gift for Vanitha and for you is His unmistakable presence. Are you in need of sustaining grace right now? 
Has Vanitha's story encouraged you? Please go to johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast to learn more about Vanitha Reisner and to find a copy of her inspiring book, The Scars That Have Shaped Me. You'll want to pick up a copy. And next week, don't miss part two of our conversation. Vanitha will talk more about her journey of relearning who she is and also share her advice for other people facing unrelenting struggles. I'm Crystal Keating, and this is the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. Podcast.